0: Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant, and I am very excited to officially announce our new permanent third co-host, Ethan Scott. What up? <laughs> Glad to be here. We uh, we really enjoyed having Ethan with us on the last episode. We were just like, why don't we just do it like this every time? Yeah. And- we we talked about it and did some figuring around with schedules and we figured out a way that it can work and so hopefully you guys are enjoying it the sticks episode hasn't come out yet so we haven't gotten any feedback but we're gonna just truck along assuming that you guys like it because we liked it it feels good yeah it added a, just another dimension that I feel like uh, was really good so just you know, we're gonna, we're gonna just keep exploring this thing unless we get like an overwhelming tide of get oh, the man. heck out.
1: That'd be so sad, but you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just like who's that guy? Mm. Okay, bye bye. Everybody. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the team, Ethan. Uh,
1: I gotta nail that intro the next time.
0: Yeah, so now we'll we'll have a, a triple intro
1: yeah dang the pressure the pressure's on <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> but uh podcast is always evolving and um, changing and we're always coming up with new ideas we're actually um among this big change we've got another big change in that this week is going to be our uh, last week to do cover songs It's really sad because this was something that we really enjoyed doing. We really pushed hard, but um, we're not getting quite the feedback that we wanted to get from it as opposed to the amount of work that goes into, I'm sure those of you guys that have watched them, you know, it's, you know, you see that, you know, between doing the video and the performances, it takes a lot of time. And yeah, if we could, if we could do the podcast full time, You know, it'd be a different story. But we all have lives and jobs and schools and families. And just for now, we're going to kind of put it on the back burner. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy these last um, cover songs. We've got one on YouTube. Then the other one is a Patreon exclusive. But we do have new content that is going to replace the cover song. So don't think those of you that are in the $5 tier that um that you're gonna be getting your money gypped we're gonna be they're not
1: they're they're not getting ripped off no in fact we're going to get a massive upgrade
0: we're actually gonna do more content on there um it's remains to be seen whether or not it'll happen this episode but but for sure by the next episode we're gonna have replacement content on there We're kind of still in the final stage of exactly solidifying what that's going to be, but, um, just keep a lookout on the next episode. We'll make an official announcement of what's going to be the new content in both of the tiers. But, um, like we said, if we could do this podcast full time, we would totally return to doing cover songs. And the best way that we, that you can help us reach that dream is becoming a patron so in the link uh, to the description of the episode, that'll take you to our Patreon page. And if you want to support us, and if, let's say you are a big fan of the cover songs and you want to see them come back later in the future, becoming a patron is the best way that you can make that happen. And as well as you're going to get to be part of all the new exclusive content we've got coming as well. So it's a win-win. It is. In my book. hmm And, um, but if you want to support us by non-monetary means, uh, a big way that you can show your love is just by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment, letting us know what artists you would like for us to tackle next. Um, we're on pretty much every major streaming platform, and I don't think there's any major platform that doesn't have us um but we uh we definitely listen. I do now have some of your guys's requests scheduled. It's official. I'm not going to budge on it. So, um we definitely have some episodes coming up in the very new f- near future just for you guys. And so, um continue to send us artists that you want us to cover. We we will get to them. It just might not be super speedily. Mm -hmm. And um, another way that you can get in contact with us is through our social media pages. Uh, We're on Instagram and Facebook, so go check us out uh, on those. We've always got stuff going on there. And uh, now officially I can talk about how our first music history episode has done. Ooh, okay. So this was something that I was very curious about because it's a bit of a departure from what we normally do. And um, I didn't have the highest hopes for it, especially considering how far back in music history we're going, literally as far back as we can go. Um, You know, it's not like we're starting, like, with classical music or something that already kind of has a fairly decent fan base to it. But like we were talking about ancient Egyptian music, which most people do not just casually listen to. I mean, you do semi casually. Um, but I was expecting probably like 150 views the first week, but we actually got about 230 listens, uh, the first week of that series, and so I was that gave me a lot of confidence to keep going with this. Um, So I'm glad that you guys apparently like it and um, look forward to seeing more episodes of that, including part two that's going to come next week, which we're going to talk about ancient Greek music, which is a lot more fun to listen to than ancient Egyptian music. (laughs) So I'm very happy to see that that episode did very well. So, um, I think we can go ahead and get into this week's artist. Okay. So. Who is that? So Who we're is... talking about a personal favorite of mine, a bit of a new favorite. I've oh, only been okay. really listening to this band for about two or three years. And, uh, but they have very highly, um, made their way up on my favorites list. And that band is OPEF. Opeth. Opeth.
2: Uh-huh. opeth okay so my real question i can't place them i know they're metal mm-hmm. but what would
0: you describe them as like what subgenre? so <laughs> this this is actually something i was thinking about because opeth is just one of those bands that they just don't neatly fit into any one category right not only because of their style but because they're always changing their style. They never sound the same from album to album. Oh, that's nice. They're 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 very much like kind of I guess in a way that Metallica was where it's like even though still the Metallica identity was always there, they usually wildly shifted between albums. Um I would say At least sonically o- Yes. Opeth, I would say, has done that even more because the way that they describe their music is just that their only rule is that there's no boundaries. That you can That's never... You're not allowed to say this doesn't sound like Opeth. As long as the band members like it, then it's Opeth. Good. There are, there are themes that carry through all of their different periods, but for the most part, like, they started off just as a death metal band. Okay. And then early on in their career, they started to adopt the um, the progressive element, as well as including a lot of melody, something that was not common in death metal at that time. And then um, just continuing to get more proggy, more proggy, um, you know, in the mid-2000s, adding keyboards... And then um after the once they hit the twenty tens, they abandoned the death metal part altogether. And now they're just a prog rock band. That's weird. And so they've they've released four albums now with no death growls in them whatsoever. Okay. And and as far as we know, they're not going back. So
2: you talked about their albums like each individual album kind of being different uh Uh like do does the same musical theme carry through each album or are all the songs just wildly different whatever it is
0: yeah so so the one thing that you can say is a is part of the opeth formula is this contrast of dark and light okay now, obviously, in the newer era, the dark is not nearly as dark, but they still do have that. You know, we'll have these kind of more like hard rock riffs and grooves, but then we'll just cut to you know melodic acoustic guitar or piano, to where it's this. It's always this battling juxtaposition of, um, of brutal heavy playing and beautiful delicate fragile playing.
2: It it is and... really beautiful melodies. I mean we just talked about sticks being so melodic but I'm really surprised that a band as heavy as Opeth is certainly from the first song of you know our our songs you know that they're really heavy but there's also those wildly beautiful crazy music theory explosive melody where they change between major and minor but it's in the same root note and it's just the things that they're able to do they shouldn't be able to do but they're able to pull it off i think because of that contrast Mm -hmm. they use that dynamic contrast to their advantage to be able to get away with stuff that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get away with yeah so what, yeah, I, w-
1: what led them to, for their taste to change so, like, more to Prague? Because it's, I guess, at the end of the day, like, losing the death, the growls and the screams and stuff, like, that big of a deal. But stylistically, it's kind of a big deal to, to yeah. move away from that vocally. What was, like, the, like, was that, like, kind of an unconscious decision? for them to do that? Like they just started doing it because they started valuing melody more, or did something happen
0: that like changed that? So, um, they had throughout the, the two thousands, they had kind of been moving towards it. Like there's, there's definitely a, there's an album that comes out in 2008 called watershed, which we have a couple of songs from that album on this episode. Um, Where you can definitely, it's the transitional record where, you know, before most all the songs were a mix of growling and clean singing. Mm -hmm. And then on Watershed, it was actually about a good half divide of half the songs had brutal death metal stuff. And then then half of them just didn't have it at all. Hmm. And so you can see that they're working towards this. And a lot of it just comes from um, Opeth has never been very fond of the metal scene. They, um, at least not after the 90s, mm-hmm. which I can I can get a little bit more into that when we get into their history, because it does help to inform kind of where their headspace was. But... Michael Ackerfeld, who is the main creative force behind Opeth, he's the singer, the one of the two lead guitar players, and the main songwriter. Um, he's just, he's openly said that he is not a fan of where the metal scene was in the 2000s. He felt that most of it was pretty terrible. And so because of that, he wasn't getting any inspiration from the heavy metal side of things Mm -hmm. he was finding inspiration in the more melodic stuff the 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 normal prog stuff Mm -hmm. um and so that's just that's what he was listening to and so he just he knew that he needed to start moving towards that because that's what was going to fuel his creative spark
1: yeah
0: it was just you know when he's not listening to death metal anymore then the death metal is not going to really appear in the music and he said that he felt that his voice was starting to um, suffer from doing death metal <laughs> vocals that much. He was starting to get older and he was just like, you know, I just, I don't think it's a good idea anymore to, uh, to do this. And his singing voice has gotten a lot stronger over the past decade and was already pretty good to start with. And then just on top of that, they just, you know they felt that they didn't want to continue to repeat themselves they felt that the death metal had run its course and that if they continued to go in that vein that it wouldn't be fresh anymore and that moving in more of this prog rock gave them more possibilities it gave them a wider palette to paint with and they wouldn't be as easily boxed into doing the same thing over and over again
2: that certainly is true Death metal is a little bit more monolithic than Prague.
0: Yes, I mean like it or not, right? Even um, though they never did traditional death metal, not even in the beginning. Oh, oh, I'm
2: sure. I mean, I, I, I would go ahead and guess that some of the songs we have would be considered part of their death metal era. Yes, none of them sound like Death or Cannibal Corpse or something they they sound very they sound like the word opeth Uh uh-huh which i guess brings me to my next question is this just like a cool sounding word
0: kind of name or is it so um it is it is taken from an obscure book and um it's a swedish word because this is a swedish band oh okay and um an interesting thing about it is that there's no original members in this band. And I'll, I'll, I'll get a little bit more into that. um, When
2: we talk about history. Yeah.
0: When we talk about the history. Um, But it's, it's translates to city of the moon. And it's just, I think honestly, it was just like, Oh, it sounds cool. Okay. That's what I expected. I don't think it has any deeper meaning beyond that. I mean, the reason I ask is because that brought us
2: to a major point in our last episode.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I didn't even know of. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's let's actually... I think it's fine if we go ahead and move to talk about their history. Yes. So, Formation.
0: So, this is a Swedish band, and... I need to give a little bit of a background of what the okay. Swedish metal scene was like, because
2: yeah, you better watch I, I, out
0: for that Swedish death metal. Uh huh. It is. It is its own genre in of itself. Yeah. So I, I briefly, the last time we talked about death metal was when we talked about death, and they represented the American wave of death metal, the f- really the first wave. Yeah. Um. Because death really invented the genre in eighty seven. But around eighty-eight, eighty-nine, that's when we start to get the Swedish scene. And the Swedes had a completely different approach to writing death metal. They approached it from a much more melodic place, even though it was still not very melodic compared to what maybe we would call melodic. But compared to you know what Cannibal Corpse and Deicide and Morbid Angel were doing, it was quite a bit more melodic. Partly because they were just they tended to be influenced more by the European bands right. like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. That was a bit That's more in their DNA. Mm-hmm. Where where American death metal was pulling more from the Slayer um, camp. To where it's it's more about the brutality. And so, you've got two distinctive scenes going on in Sweden. You've got the Gothenburg Gothenburg scene and the Stockholm scene. And of those two, the Stockholm was the more melodic-driven part of Swedish death metal. Mm -hmm. Where Gothenburg, you get more of like, kind of just... The death metal was a bit slower. It was a bit more about groove rather than the just the, the speed and the intensity of American death metal.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: then in the Stockholm scene, that's where you've got this injection of melody, and that's where Opeth fits in. So the band formed in 1990, and so this was right when death metal was starting to explode in that country. And so that's what everyone was into.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: There weren't there weren't really any non death metal metal bands being formed in Sweden that time with, you know, probably some exceptions being uh, a band like Meshuga that just went and did their own thing that wouldn't that no one would repeat until 20 years after the fact. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But so that's that's what they were into. And so. Opeth was already formed when Michael Ackerfeld came in. He was only 16 years old at the time. And um, a friend of his invited him to their rehearsal to try him out as the bass player. But he didn't tell the rest of the band that they were getting a new bass player, including their current bass player. Mm-hmm. Wow. So,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, there's a little bit of a communication breakdown there. That's. Uh,
0: yep. Yeah. So <laughs> he has Michael just kind of wait outside, and then there's this big scuffle inside the rehearsal studio. And then he comes out and says, I fired the two other guys. So now it's just you and me. <laughs>
1: that's one way to do it.
0: And so that's how Michael became part of the band. And then very soon after that, the guy that brought him into the band quit. And so it was just Michael. And so he didn't change the band. He just kept the band that he was the newest member of and then just built the new lineup around that. How long was it that all of that went down? Uh, That was literally within like an hour.
1: Like from the time that the uh michael showed up to the time that he was the last person in the band
0: oh no that was i'm sorry i miss i miss uh heard you there no that was that took place over about a year so i mean <laughs> you know he didn't the guy that brought him in didn't even stay to record on the first album or any demos or anything hmm. and so the guy that brought him in was the guitar player and the lead singer and so when michael was the sole member left he was just like well i'll be the vocalist and and guitar player cuz that's what he you know played he was a guitar player he wasn't a bass player
2: so they didn't do anything live they were just a studio band
0: they were no not even that it was just a bunch of kids like jamming that that happened to have a name and But they but on the demo one or two club games. club oh games. okay, okay. Um, It it would be like us, Grant, Area 52, before we ever played our first show, if you brought me in Mm -hmm. and fired everyone else so that I could be in the band, and then you decided to leave the band before our first gig, and I was just like, well, I guess I'll still be Area 52, and I got my own musicians.
1: That is
2: just so weird.
0: It is weird.
1: So he became the senior member of a band that he didn't start in a year. Yes.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: So from the beginning, well, from the beginning of their career, the majority of their career, I should say, their successful career, they were already a complete replacement. Yes. Is what you mean by there's no
0: original members in the band. Yeah, there's no founding members left in the band. Michael is the closest we get because... He's the only one that's been with them since the beginning of their professional
2: career. And I'm sure there have been replacements since.
0: Yes. So this band, they're definitely not as bad as, say, Death or Megadeth. Lol, that both of them are death. (laughs) Yeah. Does
1: Megadeth have a bigger problem than regular death with
0: replacing? Uh, I mean, it's uh, pretty mega compared uh to that. (laughs) Megadeth (laughs) has been around for a lot longer. Megadeth Megadeth pretty much replaces their entire. Yeah, death pretty much replaces their entire lineup every album, except for Chuck right, of, right. Who's the right. Guy. but
2: but as far as the <laughs> amount of people that have been in death it's less because megadeth has has 22 former members so it's like a pop whether
0: or not or they're on an
2: album on tour
0: yeah i would say probably death has just because death's career was so short um i would say they probably had like 15 or 16 probably over a seven album period and these are all people that played on albums. Okay, yeah. Then then if we're talking about albums, then death wins. So, yeah. Um, but Opeth does not near have that revolving door, but they're also not a, an entirely stable lineup. Uh, there have been several lineup changes. So we'll go ahead and start talking about who the other members of the band are. All right. So... Um, their original drummer and bass player, um, Anders Norden, who's the original drummer and Johan de Farfalla, which is an incredible name. He was the original cool. bass player. He, cool neither of them appear on any of the songs in this episode. They mm-hmm. are only on the first two albums, okay? which are orchid and morning rise. But, um, the other lead guitar player, um, Peter Lindgren, he stays with them all the way through, um, 2005. Okay. So he's, he's kind of like their other guitar player for the first half of their career. So he's in everything except for the two songs from watershed. So he's, um, he played on the first seven records. Mm hmm or first eight it depends on how you count deliverance and damnation Mm -hmm. so um so he's he's one of the long-term members and then in uh 97 right before their third album that's when they get um the two martins martin lopez and martin mendez for bass and drums Martin Lopez ever since joining in 1997, he is still with the band today. So okay. he's actually besides Michael the longest tenured member. Okay. And then Martin Lopez um stayed until he left at the same time Peter Lindgren did in 05 after Ghost Reveries. Okay. And so that lineup that's kind of what everyone considers the classic lineup is Michael Ackerfeld, Peter Lindgren, and then Martin Lopez, Martin Mendez, Because that's that's when they make all of their biggest, most beloved records. It's Still alive.
2: Like the Blackwater Menza Park. Friedman era of Megadeth.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what everyone sees as like, this was when Opeth was at their best. So okay. The best members, and they made the, their best records during when it was just those four. And then uh in 05 they or actually in 03 they added Per Wilberg as a full-time keyboard player and so they went from four members to five and they've stayed that way ever since.
2: It's crazy that there's only five of them. I know. I'm just pointing that yeah. out right
3: yeah. now. Yeah.
0: Uh, so um so, you've, so he becomes the the fifth member. And then both Peter Lindgren and Martin Lopez leave in 05, and that's when they get um, Martin Axenrod. Mm-hmm. And he beca- he's he been their drummer ever since um,
2: uh, 05. So we still have two Martins?
0: Yeah, so we still <laughs> we replaced a Martin with a Martin. And then uh, Frederick Akison replaced peter lindgren he's been with them ever since okay and then the only other lineup change is they got a new keyboard player around 2011
3: okay
2: so so with that keyboard player that's when they made watershed and had that whole kind of change
0: no so ghost reveries was the first one to have keep a full-time keyboard player
2: but that change happened while we had a keyboardist, because I noticed yes. on some of those songs that we have represented from that album, there's some I wouldn't say significant to the point of you know Jordan Rudess's keyboard playing, but there are some dedicated keyboard parts,
0: yes. And they had keyboard parts on previous records, it was just few and far between. Would, um, how would that happen? It live? was. So I think that they just didn't play him because the keyboards would never play a significant part of the song. Okay. And so if, you know, I'm sure that before then they just... um,
2: Left it out.
0: They just left it out. So the the big record that was actually the turning point on them getting a keyboard player was um, in 2002... They made a double record called Deliverance and Damnation.
2: Now we have and representation.
0: Yes, of both. So it's it was supposed to be a double record released at once, but the record l- label, for some reason, made them release it as two different albums. Oh released a year apart. Now, kind is of, this, like, is this one of those like,
2: where they go together, and so like one is like a direct reflection of the other?
0: Yes. So that's deliverance the best. I
2: love those. Okay.
0: So so deliverance is supposed to be all heavy OPEF, and then Damnation is all light OPEF. Okay, that's backwards. I know. You would think it's the other way around. I would think it's the other way. But hmm. but they
2: they have uh like are the lyrical themes reflective of that? Yes. Opposite? Okay. That's that's cool.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, so the damnation record is very keyboard heavy, but they just, you know, Michael is a fairly good keyboard player. And so he just did a lot of the keyboards himself, mm-hmm. but whenever they went live, they realized that they needed to have a keyboard player with them to do all that stuff. And so that's when they hired per Wilberg. Okay. And then they were, they just loved having him so much. They're, they're like, let's just make him a member of the band. Mm -hmm. okay and then yeah and ghost reveries it makes such a difference it just it's the it gives them so much um, so much new thread to pull Mm -hmm. there's so much more they can Mm -hmm. do now and also he's just such a great keyboard player he uses it in such cool and interesting ways
2: yep Mm mm-hmm okay Okay.
0: so um so let's let's talk a little bit about their musical direction throughout the years well obviously they started as death
2: but more melodic than Mm -hmm. kind of kind of like the the iron maiden of metallica but only death wise
3: yeah whereas it, it still has
2: the same core but it's a little bit more focused on like you said, melody versus brutality.
0: Yeah. Do we know how so, these
2: guys got like discovered, or how
1: they yeah through the
2: door?
0: So that's so I'll I'll explain that a little bit, kind of as we go through the records.
1: Um, because there's just this 16, I guess 17 year old kid with a newly formed band.
0: hmm <laughs> So it actually takes them it takes them five years before um they're able to make their first record. Wow. So even though that he, uh he pretty much reforms Opeth in 91 is when he finally gets a full band together, but it's not till 94 that they make the first album, and it's not till 95 that it's actually released.
2: Okay. And that is persistence.
0: Yes. So um so Orchid is the first record and Orchid and Morning Rise, which are the first two, don't have a lot of differences between them. You you can definitely tell it's a band that's trying to figure out what their exact sound is supposed to be. There's a lot of um there's a lot of rookie songwriting, even though literally every song is over the 10 minute mark.
2: (laughs) That is. It's not
0: not very symphonic. Like it's just kind of like, it feels like a bunch of parts just kind of put together for the sake of being put together. Mm -hmm. Like the, the parts aren't very cohesive. They don't make sense together. Mm -hmm. And there's no like direction that the songs really go in. Um, They kind of meander rather than like having an emotional point that they're working towards. And so there are some good songs on those records, but for the most part, it's just kind of like it's hinting at what they would be. Okay. And then once the two Martins come on board, that's kind of when the classic period really begins. But they still have a bit of a transitionary period with their third record, which is "My Arms Your Hearse," and because um, the rec- the recording quality and the songwriting still isn't quite there, but it's all more- significantly better. And they also just have better players in the supports position, particularly having Martin Lopez on the drums. Mm-hmm. He was a big step up from their first drummer, Anders. And uh, Michael's voice gets significantly better on the third record, both growling and clean singing. And but it was really on 99 Still Life, the fourth record, that's kind of like when the Opeth sound really started reaching its maturity.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the following years, Blackwater Park, that was the record that broke them into the metal mainstream
2: so is that kind of just just a product of them being underground them being underground and finally having such a good record that the underground fans are now able to like share it with their you know Uh metal buddies it wasn't like they were discovered by another band who was more famous yeah
0: Yeah, so they don't like have like a big hit single or anything like that. It was just that Blackwater Park, they had been gaining momentum, but Blackwater Park was such a great record that it was just kind of like they couldn't be ignored anymore. Mm-hmm. It was kind of one of those, it's one of those records that really changed metal. It came right in 2000, which is when metal was going through a huge shift. And they really brought in the modern era of progressive metal to where in the 90s really was dominated by bands like Dream Theater and Queensryche and Fate's Warning. Where it's more um, symphonic and, you know, like operatic vocals and a lot more bright textures.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Opeth was the first band to be that heavy to play in such a progressive nature that they inspired a huge wave um, through the 2000s and into the 2010s of just like, oh, death metal can be proggy without being like overly technical. Yeah,
2: the, the technical death, the tech death of America Uh, Yeah, but (laughs) and I guess that's the other side of Prague, you know. So in a way, both sides of the pond came up with their own Prague injection of death. Yes, whereas America went to the technical stuff, you know, for whatever reason, and now we have the Swedish side going towards the melody, and as well as atmosphere. And I think you know. There are some bands that have both. Um, for example, I wouldn't put Dream Theater in the death world, but they are pretty heavy at points, uh, mm-hmm. and so and they both have they have both of those things. And I don't know of a band that that is death metal that has both, but I'm sure we'll get one soon if there isn't.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Opeth does have a lot of brightness to them, depending on what song you're listening to. So, okay, but yeah, Blackwater Park was just kind of one of those seismic records at a time when metal was changing already.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That that was they They became the leaders of the scene at that point. Um, even though Dream Theater was still really big and were, would still release several landmark records, kind of everyone's... A lot of people in the prog metal world's eyes shifted to Opeth with Blackwater Park. It was just like, okay, these are the guys we need to start looking at now because they're doing something that we've never heard before.
1: Yeah, I do think it's just the the... You said it, well, the other time where it's like Dream Theater is... Mostly technical, mostly brighter sounds, mostly, I wouldn't say, like, all of it's, like, happy necessarily, but they, they're they doing their prog thing, and then they they throw, like, really heavy metal elements into their songwriting, where I feel like Opeth is doing the reverse, where they're, they're more sweet spot in kind of the death metal camp, at least at that time. And Mm -hmm. they add prog elements in. And so for the people that... It it just kind of, like what you said, it brought in a new era of just like, oh, this is heavy, but
2: it's not, like, it's not, like, so heavy. So, (laughs)
3: so, yeah,
2: they're like, they have the same elements, but they're presented in a different way, whereas now Opeth has that death metal base, and they're adding the prog. Uh
0: Uh-huh. And so, yeah, over the next half decade, you know, Deliverance Damnation was the next one that came out in 02 and 03. And then Ghost Reveries in 05. Ghost Reveries really was the culmination of where their songwriting in that field was heading to. In my opinion, Ghost Reveries is their best record. Okay. And it's the, to me, it's the perfect balance of... Uh, proggy technicality brutal heaviness and amazing beautiful clean moments
2: yeah like the one that we have on this list I know
0: Mm -hmm. oh so good every song on that record is so good and whenever we come back to Opeth I'm definitely going to highlight more songs off of that record because it's so good But it was just kind of like, because that was the peak, at that point, they kind of just, they knew that they couldn't take that any farther. And so that's when we have Watershed after that, where we have a stepping stone. It's a Watershed record because while they still have several songs that retain that death metal aesthetic, they really start to lean more into the more just straight up prog part.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it makes it a bit of an easier pill to swallow when heritage comes later and it has no death metal. At least they, we had a record to kind of let us know that this was where we were going rather than just, we have ghost reveries and then heritage comes after it and we never have death metal grouse again. Yeah, <laughs> It's a, makes it a bit easier to swallow.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, but mainly in this episode with the songs we're looking at we're looking at that that classic period from still life in 99 all the way through watershed so 99 to 08 that's kind of the time frame we're looking at
2: okay but okay now watershed came after damnation deliverance right
3: yeah and i'm, tra- I'm trying Ro-
2: to I'm trying to picture the timeline in my head because that's just something that helps me yes okay
0: so it's it's deliverance damnation then ghost reveries then watershed i got you i got you okay so even though ghost reveries was the the pinnacle of that style all four watershed of those are... to me is still an incredible record okay and still has elements. There are songs that do still have that, that very progressive nature about them, but it's just not as consistent throughout the whole record. Okay.
1: I kind of like the concept of even what they were saying at the beginning, and you can see it through their albums where it's like, if we like it, we record it. Yes. And, and in, in, in kind of the reverse fashion of where we were last week, Um, having a band that's close enough and that's open enough to submit ideas and to, like, to completely scratch, like, growls or to, like, go more prog and to kind of abandon, like, hardcore, like, like, Death metal, centrist, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and being able to just kind of fluidly transition to whatever is going to keep the band creatively inspired is, again, juxtaposed to last week. That's a that's a real uh, feat. It seems, yeah, <laughs> to and be able to keep and, your band that tight and that close, and, and and pursue that kind of creativity, and to come off of it's it's not easy to come off of a, a, an album like Ghost Reveries where you just like do so well at a thing and then to just be like well let's change it up and because I'm feeling like going this way without any mm-hmm. drama is is impressive
0: yeah the way Michael Ackerfeld says it is that he's just like I'm never afraid of what people are going to think of our records he's like if if we release a record that nobody likes and it tanks, it's fine. I'll I'll figure out a way to make music in some other com- capacity. That's he's a good like way I'm always thinking
2: about
0: it. He's like I'm always going to be a musician whether whether it's with Opeth or with something else, I don't care. But I'm never going to be afraid of making something going, "Oh, I hope they like this. I hope that they don't hate it." But I think
1: you see that in a lot of the best creatives where, like, and all metal has kind of, like, they have, like, very hard, like, hardcore followings of bands, especially bands Mm -hmm. like Opeth. Yes. um, Where I I think creatively you start to get uninspired and you start writing crappier stuff whenever you're trying to, like, gauge, like, the crowd. Uh Uh-huh. Instead of just being, like, and it, it it sounds kind of selfish, but like if it's like I'm liking this, and so I'm gonna release this, and everyone that's liked everything that I've liked so far is probably also gonna like it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? That's that's a really good place to come from because then you don't get burned out by, well, you know, everyone loves the death metal, and so we
2: can't release
1: what i actually like to do because you know our our whole following is death metal or
2: yeah and that's that's one thing that that when we talked about our death episode made me really sad that chuck didn't want to do any clean vocals on a death record because he knew that all the death fans would hate it would never listen to him again if he if there's ever clean vocals on a death record
1: uh-huh. i feel like he was probably wrong and i feel like all the bands that were coming up that were
0: doing clean vocals proved him wrong. I mean, but at the same time, we're... it was a different time. It was, I different... don't think people were probably quite ready for it, it yet. It was a different
2: time and it was a different scene. I mean, open, we're, we're talking about, we're halfway across the world right now in a different, very different musical scene. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like we said, you know, America took to the, more technical prog whereas the countries in europe took to the more symphonic beautiful melodic prog for whatever reason and so I, I it anyway it just it makes me sad to think that chuck didn't do that and what death could have been you
0: know uh, but at the same time well, Opet the thing that death. he did was, yeah. The thing that Chuck did was, he had to just form another band, and right. it was pretty much all the same guys that played on the last Death record. He just called it a different band so that he he could get away with doing <laughs> more melodic stuff, right? But it wasn't. It was in spirit. It was Death, but it wasn't Death.
2: Yeah, and and so, but the fact that Opeth says there are no rules completely breaks them away from that.
0: Because they started
2: from the beginning of having no rules.
0: uh Uh-huh. Another band that has said that exact same thing over the years is Rush. That's true. That's true. Neil Neil Peart is on record as saying we are never allowed to say that something is not Rush.
2: And they started with that prog element and added the kind of synth poppy, new wave stuff, whatever you want to call it. But they still kept that. Core to them, which mm-hmm. is okay. But different Rush fans, like different eras, you know, I'm kind of one of those for the very classic proggy era. Everything up till signals is like, I love that stuff. But I have a lot of friends who are Rush fans who love albums like Test for Echo. Mm-hmm. But we can both get behind the fact that we like Rush. And I think that's great that Opeth does that too. Yes, that's that's what I'm I. Trying to say.
0: I applaud them for being fearless because yeah. in the metal world it's easy to give in because metalheads hate it when you change what they are used to. Yeah, yeah. Just look at Metallica. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I love their '90s stuff, but but the hardcore fans don't.
0: Hmm. So, um, do you guys have anything else that you wanted to know before we get into the next segment? I anything, Any questions you have? I, I want
2: Ethan to explain some of the music theory. <laughs> That's what I want. I know there's a lot in the first one. There's, anyway. We're
0: going to get crazy with that. Yeah, we're going to get crazy <laughs> with
2: this. Okay
0: alright we'll go ahead and take a break then uh, when we come back we're going to talk about the six songs that we picked for this episode so stay tuned we'll be right back
2: Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Opet and their weirdness and the fact that they have no rules. And now it is time for us to talk about the six songs that we have for this episode. So for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, first of all, welcome. And second of all, Lucas, could you explain to them what we mean by six songs?
0: Yes. So these Songs are our opportunity to be able to um, talk about the band in a more concrete fashion, be able to give specific examples of their songwriting, as well as just give some cool info and talk about what the songs are, what they're doing. Um, I don't know if that text ring just came through. Uh, <laughs> I should put my phone on silent. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just a way for us to be able to um, introduce people that don't know who Opeth are. Like these songs are going to be your best first step into the band. So if you've never listened to the band before, these six songs, they're going to let you know exactly what Opeth is mostly all about. Um, And, I, uh, select these songs, not just picking six random songs, but, um, I pick songs that flow well from start to finish between each other. They, they transition well. And by the end of the set, um, there's going to be an emotional release, a catharsis. So, uh, I'm not just picking what I think are the six best Opeth songs or my six favorites, These six songs not only introduce you to the band, but provide for a satisfying listening experience. So the way that you go and listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode and it'll take you to a Spotify playlist. You'll be able to listen to not only these songs, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. Um, So please make sure that you go check these out. Even if you've heard these songs before, And you're familiar with the band, still listen to them in this order. I think that you'll get something new and interesting out of it. So, we'll go ahead and get into the first song, which is Ghost of Perdition.
2: This, I think, is a prime example of what you talked about early in the first segment, talking about um, the juxtaposition between dark Uh and light. There are so many different sections in this song. I mean, they can it's like over ten minutes. There's so many different sections mm-hmm. and they're back to back up against each other with wildly different dynamics. You'll have a very heavy section, then a light, flowy section, then another heavy section, then a melodic section and and but they still flow very well yeah and 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 that's very difficult to do especially because they're all in different you know tempos I'm sure and different keys as well I'm sure uh, different major modes I know that um, and they also show although not very clearly in the guitar world they show their technical prowess as well I mean we, we talked about a lot about how they're melodic and not technical but they can get the technical stuff done
0: yeah.
1: I like how it's all good prog bands to me are they use the technical to like emphasize what the songs trying to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I appreciate about uh Ghost of Perdition is that there are a lot of sections but whenever the sections were hitting I was never cuz on some songs that are this long and this kind of grandiose sometimes I feel like it's like a movie with, like, a scene that wasn't really needed, you know? Yeah. Or, or they should have done, like, they should have done something different. So sometimes in songs, I'm just like, the, the bass player probably just thought of a riff, and they just put it in there to not make them feel bad, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> but what, what I like about this song is that, like, every like they go back to section like they're not afraid to like repeat sections for themes Yeah, (laughs) they're not afraid to to go back and change like do the same thing but like change modes they're not afraid to use that like crazy like kind of chug tom pattern like with a solo over the top of it for a little bit or, or put vocals in a place that they that they it was an instrumental the time before and so they're using all these puzzle pieces to like, they're just like,
2: I know it's like saying. they're I just
1: baking it in different every single time, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a feeling of familiarity as you go through the song, even though like, the, technically I think the sections are changing. It just doesn't feel like it is as much as it is because yeah, so it well.
0: feels very organic. And that's, that's something that's very uh, clear to compare with early Opeth stuff from the first couple records, is that it's exactly like you said. There are sections and riffs that you could just pull out, and the song wouldn't change. And it would actually yeah. be um, – there's – like, they have one song on their second record called Black Rose Immortal. That's their longest song they've ever done, 20 minutes long. And – I'm on board with it until about the 13, 14 minute mark. And it feels like that's the point when the song should end. And they just kind of keep going. And I'm just like, okay, this this stuff is not needed. We don't need these yeah. questions. And with Ghost of Perdition, what is really great and what's telling that you wrote a great long song is when you don't feel the length. It didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't feel that I always, I was always under the impression that this was a seven to eight minute song. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I was like, oh, this is 11 minutes long? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it because, again, just every song is necessary. It's every, the whole song is moving towards a logical conclusion and every section is instrumental, no pun intended, on getting us to a specific spot getting us to that big um, chorus at the end. And so, and just in little ways, they, they, they move us there. And there's actually a surprisingly small amount of repetition in this song. Even though there is repetition, it's mostly unique sections and they somehow make it flow so well.
2: Right. It sounds like it's a story. It is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay, so can we talk about lyrics for a second before we get back to the music? Because I have more about the music, but...
0: Yes. So, I'm going to go ahead and give this disclaimer at the beginning of this section that uh, lyrics are usually never the focal point of Opeth songs. Okay. Michael has said in an interview that lyrics are a necessary evil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, don't say that. Um. So he just—that's he, not what he enjoys doing the most. Okay. And so, um, couple that with the fact that English is not his first language. Okay. He, you know, he's obviously he's from Sweden. Sweden mm-hmm. is not the native language there, and um, he writes in a in intentionally cryptic way.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, you know he there's a lot of mystery into what their songs are about. Okay. So there's there's not always a clear he's not someone that likes to explain what they're about. He's just like, you know, like I don't care. <laughs> You know, find whatever meaning you want. But what we do know about Ghost Reveries as an album was that it was originally written to be a concept record. And then it was abandoned partway through the recording process. uh, Because he wrote a song on the album called Isolation Years that he loved so much, but it didn't fit the theme. And so he was just like, well, whatever, we'll just no rules (laughs) there's there's enough
2: songs on the wall that don't really fit the theme that you can get away with it you know
0: yeah so there's there's like four or five songs on the album that connect to each other but you know after he decided to not make it a concept record it's very very loose but i'll explain kind of what the main gist of the record is about okay so it's about and Ghost of Perdition is the first song on the album. So this is how the album opens. So it's the beginning of the story. And Ghost of Perdition is about um, the main character's mother dying and immediately being possessed by Satan.
2: And okay, that is, kind of, yes. that is an <laughs> extra level of Scandinavian death metal. Yes, uh-huh. I mean, but that's about what you would expect, right? You
0: know. Yeah. Um, so he, the main character, is discovering the hidden darkness that was in, that his mother lived in, that she was a secret occultist, and that her death, um, that the devil was claiming her body as for her service in life he now has her service in death and he actually um kills his possessed mother to try and rid her of the demonic possession and when he does that he incurs the wrath of hell Oh! and hell starts pursuing him okay But at the same time, throughout the record, it's also seducing him. You've got some factions of Hell that are just straight up hunting him and trying to destroy him, and other ones that are whispering into his ear to further look into his mother's studies. And at the very end, he succumbs to the darkness, tries to um, summon the devil, and the tables get turned on him, and he actually ends up it's he's like he falls into a trap pretty much
3: mm-hmm. like
0: they were deceiving him to follow in his mother's footsteps when really all they wanted was punishment for meddling with their affairs and that's this, this the is the song or the album that's the whole album so the, okay. the Ghost like, of Perdition I tried to read the there. lyrics
1: on Ghost of Perdition and I did not get any of that
0: yeah i had to do a little ancillary research around it to gather all and even again a lot of this is a bit speculative because michael hasn't come out and said okay let's go song by song and talk about what chapters are what you just kind of got to infer from what you're reading and again he intentionally writes very archaically and i think again a part of that is because you know English is not his first language, so he writes in a strangely poetic way and probably even writes in ways to where phrases exist merely because they sound cool, yeah, yeah, and don't have any actual meaning. Again, when we kind of infer the fact that he doesn't like writing lyrics that much, he probably will just come up with a phrase and go, That's cool, that sounds great when I sing it, let's just leave it in the song. <laughs> Yeah. So,
2: uh... Um, you, so you said intentionally cryptic not as in a way where he's trying to, like, have a secret meaning that, you know, there's secret connections and people are gonna try to find him out like a scavenger hunt kind of writing. You mean intentionally cryptic as in almost... It's uh,
0: almost like he... because
3: Almost is lazily.
0: A, I would say it's more like he's trolling. Oh. <laughs> Because that is—he's is he's trying to
2: make people think there's something.
0: That's absolutely his personality, and all the interviews I've seen in his stage banner on when he's they play live, he is super um, sarcastic and super like he like he was on stage one time and said. Um, okay, I'm going to count to three. And then I want to see you guys headbang really, really intensely. Ready? One, two, three. And then everyone starts headbanging. He goes, you guys all look, uh, effing ridiculous right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, don't you realize how stupid you look doing this with no music? <laughs> like just, that's his personality. He like, he'll, um, um,
2: He's he'll take a page the out of a thrash metal book.
0: Yeah, he'll introduce <laughs> one of his most serious and 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 beautiful sounding songs, and he'll go. He'll start off. And he'll go. This song is about a woman with big titties, and then start the song, <laughs> and it's like a beautiful <laughs> acoustic ballad. That's not even about that. <laughs> that's like that's just that's his personality. That's pretty cool, and so. Um, so it's totally likely
1: that he's like I kind of want this song about this and then he just goes to Google and he's trying to translate Scandinavian words to English and then he's like that one will work
0: it's possible and then again just we don't know it. he's he's very secretive about his lyric writing process but just gathering from the clues that I've learned it's possible that there is a meaning but that the meaning does isn't super profound or it may not even mean anything who knows if if he hates writing lyrics
1: i doubt that they're like super puzzly cryptic there's definitely someone that would
0: that loves writing
1: lyrics would do
0: i just think that he is someone that probably just gets a kick out of seeing people trying to come up with the most (laughs) complex yeah and he's just going (laughs) oh look at that idiot I'm glad he's
2: still Reisler, because he has a good voice Yeah, for it. Like, I mean, you talked about how they did their first album when he was, like, what, 22? Mm Mm-hmm. Or something. And so he's obviously pretty young during the first few years. Yeah. Has a great, full, well-developed voice. So, I guess it's kind of a shame that he doesn't really... Think about lyrics, but at the same time, the fact that he's just trolling people makes up for it.
0: Yeah. So. so, so that'll apply to kind of all lyrics in this episode moving forward. I can give you my best guess of what it's about. Okay. <laughs> or what it's actually about, but we're just I playing really into his game. Know.
1: Yeah, we're just, exactly. we're just playing right into his his master game.
0: So, Michael, if you're listening to this, we fell for it. Go ahead and have your laugh. Uh,
2: now, the last thing I will say about this song, and it applies to all the future songs as well, is that none of the instruments really, unless it's intentional, unless it's like a solo section or something, they they never take the forefront it's always a collaborative sound. When we Mm -hmm. have that big um, opening of the first flowy acoustic section, which we changed from major to minor somehow, but we're still in the same root note, um, which is just fantastic. It sounds beautiful. Um, That's a really complex acoustic part. and It's like 16th notes or 32nd notes, really fast.
3: But Mm -hmm.
2: it took me like the fourth or fifth time listening to it to realize, Oh my gosh, that's actually really complex because it didn't subtract from the melody that it was carrying because the point of that section was that melody. Yeah. It was not oh cool guitar part and cool melody on top of it and try to make them fit together. Like what would happen with a lot of hair metal, you know, it was, it was uh-huh. always a symphony.
0: Yes, if anything, on this song, the instrument that plays lead the most is the drums.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: the drums are very, um, are v- it's there. I mean, obviously, we can't say the drums are melodic, but just yeah. the way that Martin Lopez plays the drums on and throughout the whole record, I would say that it's his best record drumming wise. It's a shame that it was his last one. Um, He just, he does so many interesting, unique little things throughout it. Um, And just all the different little details he puts in it. He doesn't ever play anything really simple or the same way twice, but at the same time, it doesn't get in the way of anything. Again, he's just, he's playing it, Almost like it's a lead instrument.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: No, it, and... does.
2: it definitely carries emotion. There's a lot of different beats, and I noticed that it was a little bit. I don't. I don't want to say it was louder in the mix, but it 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 took up a lot more of the emotional flow than what usually would happen for mm-hmm. metal.
0: Yeah, it's Which very okay. creative very creative drumming nothing about it is very orthodox yeah and yeah, it's and made okay. it very very difficult to make the cover song <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
2: that song yeah
0: by the way we didn't even mention that this is this is the song that is on our youtube channel so go make sure and uh check that out oh yeah you'll hear us you'll get to hear my um my hopefully not pathetic attempt at death metal vocals. Oh
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. You I'll know? let you guys be the judge of that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. practicing.
1: <laughs> from <laughs> From a theory standpoint, there's, uh, there's an interesting thing that they were doing because I know Grant okay. was mentioning, and, and they do it in a lot of songs because whenever they go from major to minor, uh-huh what makes it sound so unique and it took me a couple of listens on this and they don't do it every time. Cause it would maybe be a little bit much, but so most of, and this is probably most death metal is played in harmonic minor. So whenever, uh, I guess for people that are not uh, music nerds, uh, you have your regular minor scale and then you have a harmonic minor scale Which, so regular minor scale has a minor 3rd and a minor 6th and a minor 7th. Right. And a harmonic minor has a minor 3rd and a minor 6th, but it has a major 7th in it. Right. Usually whenever you uh, go to, you're in minor and then you go to major, you uh, kind of switch keys in a weird kind of way. Like your key center kind of changes, but the notes don't change. Mm-hmm. And so, but what they're doing is that whenever they're like, say that they're playing in A a harmonic minor, just to right. make it really easy. Okay. They're switching to the relative major, but they're, it's the relative major of A harmonic minor, not just A minor. So they're not going from A harmonic minor to C major. Does that make sense?
2: They're going to A harmonic from a harmonic minor to C to C, it's like a,
1: it has an like augmented an augmented fifth in it,
2: yeah. So
1: that's that's what makes it sound so like, what are they doing? Yeah, because they're they're using that harmonic that that major seventh in the in the minor key, and then oh. sometimes whenever they switch the key center to major, they're keeping at that point it would be a a, a sharp fifth.
2: They're keeping all the notes. Yeah, I noticed some points where they weren't even keeping all the notes. Yeah, yeah. There's sometimes
1: I I, I can't man. There's so many sections to. There's this. so many weird stuff. Yeah. There's one time where the keyboard literally just plays a note, and then it plays the note right below that note, and then it plays the note right below that note, and he's just adding stacks on the whole time just to create tension. Oh, that that's on the next. That's on the next song. song yeah. yeah. And whenever know, that happened, exactly at, at first I was about. just like, "That's kind of muddy." And then as I kept going, I was just I think, like, this "I don't is think
2: amazing. that was a music theory thing. I think that was just trying to convey oh. a particular mood." Yeah, that's exactly
1: because at, at first when I heard, I was like, "Ah, that sounds that's starting to sound really busy." And then once they did it like after like the sixth time, I was like, "Okay, that's that sounds really good." <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> With that, we should probably move to the next song. Yes, since we're already talking about it, this is the Lotus Eater. Right,
3: yeah.
1: So awesome. this is the the proggiest of of the set. I
0: would say opinion. so. As far yeah. as that have more the most traditional prog elements. As well it's, as just a lot of yeah. the maybe some of the zaniest ideas, like blast beats over clean
3: vocals. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. And and the vocals sound like ghosts. Like I honestly thought it was Tobias Forge singing. Like it was his side project or something. <laughs> because of the way that they have that like harmonization, it's like parallel fourths
3: mm-hmm. or
2: something. And he does that all the time on uh Infestisam or whatever it is.
0: I think he said uh, it correctly.
2: Maybe the I, first time I,
0: you said it correctly. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um I, he does that all over that album, and then uh Michael did it on this song, and I was like, Oh, this is Tobias Forge side product, no, nope, because it's so bad that screaming death lyrics that he has never done.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, anyway. so, uh huh. Yeah. So. Which is zany. Yeah, this is off of Watershed, which is the transitional record, but this is definitely among the heavier songs on that album. Yeah. And uh, they have the two new members in the band. And I want to talk a little bit about their new drummer, Martin Axenrod. Okay. And how freaking good he is. (laughs) So on all the future records, obviously they abandon not just death metal growls, but any kind of death metal instrumentation or playing. And so this is kind of the only record where you get to hear him just completely go insane with just about everything that he's capable of doing and all over the record he does some of the most mind-bending drum things i've ever heard in my life (laughs) Mm -hmm. and on this song he pulls out so many cool little tricks like just a lot of his fills are really weird and um the where he'll put random snare hits and cymbal splash accents, uh, and he's got it's such insane double bass speed. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about cover songs, even before we had even the possibility of Ethan doing keyboards for us, I was just like, "Lotus Eaters out," because I cannot play double bass that fast. <laughs> <laughs> It's just not gonna be possible.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it's good to to see a drummer who you know, on the other song we have off of Watershed where he kind of lays back and mm-hmm. is able to support the other instruments, it's also good for a drummer to know how to keep attention.
0: Yes. Instead I think he doesn't play glass
2: beats all the time. Whereas yeah. he can do that but also accenting the right things. And Uh this song grooves,
1: like going from that, that first like major blast beat over the clean vocals thing. And then just going right into the
0: Yeah. This song has some insane moments of groove. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: My, my favorite being that amazing little keyboard breakdown after the (laughs) ambient section. That's, that's oh. one. My, it's one of my favorite parts in
2: this whole set, where it plays that main theme, but in yeah. the weird organ.
0: Oh,
2: you're talking about that one? Yes, yeah, that was a little bit of Dream Theater in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but but with the a little bit of the Opeth flavor. I love the drums in that, um, and just the way that that keyboard is playing. It just it's. It's so random and out of left field, but it just works so well.
2: Right. That's what, well, that's what prog essentially is.
0: Yeah, it's about seeing if you can make really weird ideas work.
2: Yeah, can I get away with this? Yes, put it in the song.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. This, I would say this is, is a little bit of a, even though we have the weird clean vocals over the brutal drums. I would say this is a more brutal song than our previous ones. I think yes. we're kind of getting deeper even though we don't follow that trajectory perfectly through the next song. I think overall this set gets deeper and deeper,
0: yes, and so very kind similar
2: of my... to the between the buried and knee set
0: yeah so my my intention here was to up the ante with this second song.
2: you yeah that to happens. not
0: only yeah. up the intensity but up the experimental nature um to Mm -hmm. to up the weirdness yeah but still have everything be very signature opeth like the whole ambient section in the middle like that is pure unadulterated opeth right there yeah where you've just kind of got the guitars just kind of hanging in suspenseful free form you don't know if it's going to do something beautiful or something menacing (laughs) you don't know if like they're just going to come just out of nowhere blast beat, scream scare the crap out of you or if they're going to go into a beautiful acoustics you don't know yeah <laughs> and i think that's one of the most um effective modes of that part of their identity is that when they go into these moments it kind of even when it sounds completely beautiful in the back of your mind you're just going okay but what's going to happen after this do I need to be on my guard in case mm-hmm. they try and get the jump on me?
2: It, it's kind of like how uh, horror movies are, where something mm-hmm. normal is happening in front of you, but because of the music behind it, you're expecting something.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And part of that has to do with, with you know, sub bass and a bunch of stuff like that. But in, in, a, in the same spirit, there's something very normal happening in front of you musically, but you're worried about what's going to happen next, yeah. which is so hard to write because usually you'll have or you'll, you'll try to write, I would say, usually just from, from my guesstimation, um, you'll try to write for somebody to listen in the moment and kind of go along with it instead of trying to predict what's going to happen next uh-huh and it's a very different way of thinking
1: yeah the, the... vocal line after that kind of keyboardy section mm-hmm. that was one thing uh i made a note of like his vocal line whatever his that melody is is so dissonant compared to the and i, I the leaks are like the it's it's like the something of a mother, something of a father. Yeah. I, I can't really understand uh-huh. what he was saying. But, like, that bit, whenever he was singing that, I was just like, what
2: is happening? Yeah, and what even <laughs> is so the time trippy? To to it's like 13-2? I don't, I don't even know. Think. It was
1: it was just so, like, insane. Because, like, it, it was, like, very melodic and very on purpose. Like yeah it, it was definitely yes. wasn't a mistake. And they, mm-hmm. the way that it was presented I was just like it's still in key but it, it is so whatever he's doing it makes makes that vibe so dark. Yeah.
2: And they and do that eerie. switching between like two different major chords that are a uh, half step apart. Uh, yeah. oh. which, which so sounds very um Oh, it kind of almost reminds me of like Aladdin. I don't know how, but but like you're in, you're in you're in the deep like underground trying to find the lamp, like kind of that place. Uh huh. I don't know why it does that because that music is that music is not in that scene, but that kind of feeling of like there is something more at play here,
3: mm-hmm. like maybe
2: like a lyrical theme or something. Whereas, like, I think it would also fit well with Ghost of Perdition is, like, there's some occult thing happening. And he didn't have to sing that. I have no idea what the lyrics are about, right? And we can hear your take on that in a minute if if you want to. But it it still has that theme. Whereas he doesn't have to come up with lyrics for a story
0: to be told. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it should be, really. The music is telling its own story, for sure. Yeah, so um, so the the title "The Lotus Eater," uh, I, asked, I had no idea what that meant until I looked it up, and apparently that is a um, it's a Greek term. Of there was a in ancient Greece there was a a lotus fruit that had this specific chemical component to it that when people ate it they would become apathetic and lazy. Oh, and like yes. it was pretty it was pretty much like a, a sedative.
3: Mhm.
0: And so that's what this whole song is about the metaphorical uh, modern interpretation of people that in spirit are always that way. People that p- always put pleasure before responsibility. mm
3: mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: And very selfish people that's the whole uh the mother and father section at the end is just about people that literally just like you know people that use their parents and their their good natures and their want to give you the best and everything and just taking it for granted and expecting it and manipulating it even
3: to so get what is what, that, is, just is what
0: he wants guess? yes because obviously okay. he's not. Just seeing what the title Lotus Eater means and then looking at the lyrics, this is what I'm picking up on.
3: And
0: See, there's, that actually there... does
2: make sense, though.
0: Yeah. And so it's hmm. just, you know, a lot of the lyrics and the opening verses are all, you know, um, just different juxtapositions of... And any time the clean vocals are singing, it's the perspective of... Um, like the good stuff, just like, you know, liquid is in your throat, um, just like the pleasure part of it. And then the death metal vocals are the dark side of it. Hmm. So it's two different perspectives almost at war with each other. And he does that a lot in his songs with if there's clean and, and rough right next to each other, usually it's two sides fighting against each other. Two perspectives, um, you know, one showing maybe, you know, clean being remorse or innocence or redemption and the harsh vocals being depression and despair and anger and, um, you know, just kind of showing both sides of a story.
1: Is that a norm? Is that is that a normal thing? Because I'm not a big... I'm not big growl, like, scream guy. But whenever you put it that way and it's used, like, artistically, like, that almost as like, two voices, like, two characters. Mm -hmm. I can get down with that. Yeah. I I can get a lot more on board using it uh, as a tool uh, than, you know, than just to be angry all the time.
0: Most of the time... If there's ever harsh and clean together, it's because we do the verses growl and the chorus is is clean, so that way we can have a hook.
3: <laughs> yep.
0: Or or purely for the sake of just mixing up the textures. Opeth is the only one, uh, maybe between the buried and me would be another instance where there's there's an intentional use of what lines are getting the clean and what lines are getting the, the harsh to help further the lyrical theme of what's going on, or even just the emotional theme.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, um, so when we get to the end of this song, um, especially when the last section of the harsh vocals, we feel this tension building. And mm-hmm. so where I wanted to be by the end of this song is to kind of almost like we're, we're very quickly getting as far as we can emotionally get with this style. So that way we can have some unadulterated time of beauty. And cause it's like after, after Lotus Eater, if I were to put another heavy song, it would almost feel like it's too much. Yeah. And so now at this point, and especially the with the way that song ends with the kind of the weird fade out where you have these voices cutting in and out. Yeah. And and then you have this exhalation like a s like a sigh of relief it's almost i i'm using that almost as a way for us as the audience to go okay now we can all collectively catch our breath and we can move on to the next song which is um Good has idea. no harshness at all to it not even just oh. in vocals but of guitar drums right? this is
1: why i love your set building because as someone that uh and I guess to all the listeners, I, I probably relate to you. Like, I'm not, I'm not a big, like, scream. I, li- I like prog because of the instruments because I'm a nerd and I like music theory. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of, like, screamo, growls, like, the intensity of it, I'm, I haven't been super big into that. And so listening through the set, I was like, man, this is so good. This is so good. And then there's, like, so much tension at the end of Lotus Eater. I was just like, oh man, like, like, I don't know. if <laughs> I was just like, this is a lot. I'm going to have to like take a mental break after this. And then this hit, because I didn't know anything about Opeth before listening to the set. Mm-hmm. Other than I think that the first time I ever heard of them, I think that they did some, some tour with dream theater at some point. They did. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Opeth, that's cool. Um. We got we get to Benighted, and and I was so shocked at how down it was.
3: Mm-hmm. I was just like
1: this exists, and that's whenever I, I was kind of like, it kind of like gave me. I was just like, okay, I can like, I can, I, I get the vibe here. I I kind of yeah. understood the band a lot more. See, like hearing that this song, I was just like, oh, they're not. Even before we talked about them being so death metal in the history and then getting more clean as we went on.
3: Mm-hmm. Even
1: just hearing this in the set, I was just like, oh, these guys are a lot more three-dimensional than just like a really fancy screamo band.
2: Right. Yeah. Right, and that's why it's my favorite song is, is of this set. It was really close to Ghost of Perdition, but other bands could have made something like that and they have. Uh, this this song is so opeth. <laughs> and at the same time, so <laughs> – I mean, it is. No, it is. It, it, yeah. sounds, it sounds like Opeth, but but at the same time, it's so different from the other songs of this set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of show off their guitar prowess, and maybe I'm a little bit biased on that. But it's, it's kind of – in the same way, it's kind of their take on the whole um, – behind-blue-eyes structure. Uh, yeah. The majority of it being acoustic and voice, and then you have the rest of the band come in for the guitar solo or the the more
0: intense section or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Th- but the thing is, this is actually pretty early in their career. It's actually the earliest in their career we get on this set. Really? This is from 1999. That's probably life. why it's so distinct. So this was... Um, this was not their first um, uh, calm song that they had done in their career. That um, they have a song on their second album called "To Bid You Farewell." That's their f- first one that doesn't that has only clean vocals in it, but it's still an eleven minute song that has distorted guitars and it's just no growling. And then, "My Arms, Your Hers" has a song um, called "Credence." that is okay but like they're still kind of trying to figure out how to make that kind of song but with benighted on the fourth record this was like a big moment shifting song for them
3: Mm -hmm.
0: because they were really able to show off to their audience that they are able to nail this other side of their persona and then from that point on all their records have at least one or two of those kinds of songs on there until eventually they just abandoned the death metal altogether, and they and about half of the songs were about this level of intensity.
1: It's very eclectic. Like I like I like what Grant said about like it's still s- definitely Opeth, and and I love that it, it's not it. It, you know that the songwriting didn't come from a place where it was like, "Let's do a down song, yeah." Mm-hmm. Figure that out. It like someone wrote this and was like, "This is really cool," and the and everyone's like, "Yeah, that is really cool." <laughs> and you know, mm-hmm. and it didn't it didn't come from just like, "Want to know what would be awesome," and really new. Like, what if we just like did this down thing? Because that the even though the guitar lines are crazy, it's just, yeah. The way that the he's playing it and, and the way that the music is structured, it's 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 beautiful and it's kind of eerie and the way that he's pacing his vocal line is kind yeah. of eerie as well because it's not his vocal line's not like so straight like you would like hear in pop. You know? Yeah. It's like he'll like bum bum ba ba bum ba bum ba bum and it's just like you when it, like literally whenever I was listening to it, it's like I like it's almost like I stopped moving and I was uh-huh. just like listening so intently to it because it's right. like the, it's like the song almost like demanded my full attention. It was it was so just it was just like we're doing this and you're gonna listen to it. And I was just like, Okay. I can't I, I can't like do anything else whenever I listen to this song. It's it just is so <laughs> there. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like It's like, it's not, and it's not because it's complicated. It's just because it's so interesting and it's so unique. Yeah. So,
0: is this your favorite song of the set then, Ethan?
1: This is my second favorite song of the set. I I bet
0: I know what your favorite is.
1: (laughs) You probably do. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That was another, that, that song is another battle for my favorite, but, but this one won out. And, and another good reason is because when the drums come in, they don't ever, really leave sort of till the very end yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that they really change the mood too The, the feel even though there's no drums the feel of the just acoustic part is very very slow and so when the drums come in even though they're still kind of slow it's really double time from what the feel felt like earlier so you still have that gradual increase that I think Lucas you really like Uh that structure and so it it appeals to the people who like that kind of music but it appeals to people like me and ethan who like the stuff that really demands your attention because there's space still yeah and it that i'm glad you mentioned that vocal line ethan the vocal phrasing because Mm -hmm. it really harkens back to rust in peace the song rust in peace where he has that Um, I spread disease like a dog line Uh that's so just ranting and weird and jagged and it doesn't really follow that sort of pop structure rhythm Mm -hmm. and I kind of have lost that uh, fascination with that line because I've heard it so many times and I'm glad that I got it with this song Yeah, and it made me think about that again and so even though they didn't write rest in peace. It still made me appreciate that music as well. Even more is mm-hmm. really cool.
1: It's just well-written. Like it just, is. Cause even whenever the drums kept, like we said this earlier, like just the groove. Cause it's like, it just, it locks in whenever the drums come in. It's just like, Oh, we're like in this weird alternate prog blues thing now. And that's probably a horrible disservice to anybody that is listening <laughs> that is listening to my description of this without listening to it first, you're probably like, what in the heck is Ethan talking about? But it like whenever I heard it, I was just like, it's it's kind of then maybe you guys have like felt we were feeling it different than I was, but like whenever the drums came in, I was just like it feels kind of bluesy, I guess. But like yeah. all there's still like I mean, the chords that they're using are not blues; they're still prog, and the feel of the vocals is still prog. But like, it just kind of hits you in this kind of like backwater Louisiana blues style. I think it's that acoustic or
2: that that clean solo, yeah, that really does it. That's what does it for me. mm -hmm. They could have gone with a big, massive, drenched in reverb and delay solo, but they didn't.
1: Yeah, that would have been the easy way out. They could have yeah. gotten, yeah. yeah. They could have gotten like a, this big anthemic guitar, like you know, thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and this is to me, this is why Still Life is the moment when Opeth kind of really solidified exactly what kind of music they wanted to make. The first three albums are building up to it, and then this fourth record, it's with because of songs like Benighted, of just like you can tell now they know exactly what they want to do and they know exactly how to achieve what they want to do
1: yeah i think it's the the bass parts kind of go unsung in this but i think that's a lot a lot of whenever the drums come in whatever the because i mean the bass isn't playing all the Weird prog stuff that a bass would normally play, like copying the guitar line or copying the acoustic. It literally just locks into, boom, Yeah, it carries the rhythm. Yeah. and that's I think what makes it feel more blues is because it's like they're they're the drums and bass are locking into more of like a traditional like rhythm section, uh, part and letting but then all the all the melodic stuff is still being carried by prog melodies and it mm-hmm. was anyways that that's this was almost my favorite song just because like it was a fusion of so many things like it it was musically and and i guess uh maybe artistically probably the thing that caught my eye the
3: most mhm
2: all right well in the interests of time Let's go ahead and move on to the next song, which is...
0: The Drapery Falls.
2: Drapery Falls. This is another one that has a good juxtaposition like Ghost of Perdition.
0: Yes. So what I really love about this song being here is that we have a continuation of the acoustic feel, but now we've we've got another step up but mm-hmm. we actually have a long period of time before the harsh vocals come in. Right. And so in a way, it's almost like you forget that we've been listening to a band that ha- had harsh vocals in it because yeah. <laughs> we get about two thirds through the song. And then all of a sudden it comes in. You're like, Oh yeah. And it's mm-hmm. been gone long enough that you can miss it. That's true. To where you're not just like, Oh, this again yeah uh I love the emotion in this song. I think that the atmosphere that all the guitars create like that that opening section when when the whole band kicks in and you've got that that droning guitar line the... yep. I love the what the bass is doing in there and just the mm-hmm. whole song just it, it is drenched in those, so much atmosphere that
1: rhythm guitar is so textured uh-huh on, on that big, it's like the extensions that he's doing are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like oh my gosh it feels so big
0: mhm mm-hmm. so this is off of uh, Blackwater Park which is was their big breakout record and this is this is one of the big songs off of that album. This was the first single that was released from it, and this is this is wildly considered one of a, an all time fan favorite. Okay. And um, this this song really has. This was one where the the meaning I think is pretty easy to uh, figure out what what it's about and this is where i think that what we were talking about (sighs) earlier about how the the harsh and the clean are presenting two different aspects Mm -hmm. so the song is about depression and about how when people have depression even when they are doing well and they aren't depressed there's a part of them that wants to be depressed because it's what they're familiar with
3: Mm. And so they're mm-hmm. longing, to,
0: they're longing to be pulled back into the night, which is when pull me down again and guide me into night. Um, he's saying, just you know, it's so much work and so much effort, even though I'm in the day, because I have lived in the night for so long. It's what I'm used to. It's where I'm comfortable wow i want to go back to it and so when the harsh vocals come in he's now slipped back into the depression that and
1: makes me appreciate he, this song a lot more the
0: darkness takes over
2: this is and, more deep than i would think for somebody who
0: doesn't like writing lyrics <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so yeah and then um so what it is is he's it's his struggle it's his guilt of of being in the darkness again after being in the light, the darkness for a period of time is unfamiliar. But then when the clean vocals come in, it's almost a sad ending because now he's reconciled of, okay, I've now found the comfort from the darkness that I was wanting at the beginning. And now he's settling in to, um, to stay in his depression because it's almost, it's almost like, uh, like an addict that you know has been from its drug it's the initially the relapse is hard but then it's like now once they're officially back into it now it's just like okay now I don't want to leave again
3: Mm -hmm.
2: that's sad I honestly, I thought this was like one of those epics that was like super transcendental, like crack the sky or something. And the only reason was because of the line that said spiraling to the ground below. Uh-huh. But that makes a lot more sense now.
0: That just, yeah, it's it's a bit more literal. Right, right. And the the autumn leaves representing like summer is usually a, a season of happiness and and winter is usually a season of of depression. It's when the most people have depression Christmas time and just the weather sucks.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: I know I'm the most depressed during winter time because yeah. I hate the cold. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I just think that the way this song paces itself is, um, is one of its biggest strengths. And then I love his clean singing in this song.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I
0: think that it's so, the verses are so good, the that the refrain of the ah, yeah. ah, ah,
3: ah
0: is so good, and just again, just kind of putting this after the the acoustic song, just kind of stepping us back into heavy, but with more um, with more sustenance rather than there's not a lot about the song that's necessarily brutal until we get to the dark part, but then it jumps back into the acoustic guitars and the more melody-driven aspects. So it's almost like now we have a fusion of these two things really coming together in a very balanced way.
2: I'm not gonna lie, because of the fact that it came after Benighted, and that song was so... The first three songs fatigued me in such a different way (laughs) from each other, right? Because you had the intensity from Lotus Eater and Ghost of Perdition, but from Ghost of Perdition, you also had the melody as well as in Benighted, and Benighted was also written with weird rhythm. This song, even though it seemed, even though it's sort of intense and it has different things that'll demand your attention. It wasn't at a level that it exceeded the first three, mm-hmm. and so my ear kind of pushed it by the wayside. And so listening to them in this order, I think did a disservice to this song, even though it's a good song.
0: Interesting. I don't
2: mean I don't mean that as an insult to your um, set building. I think it pays off as we get to the next two songs. Mm-hmm. but it 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 was a part of the set that you kind of have to have faith in so as the listeners are listening to this set don't be put off by the kind of fatigue that you now have from listening to these four songs it will pay off thats what i my I see what you're
1: saying the i I have really, especially now knowing kind of the story of the song. The the transition from the acoustic into because, I mean, and we'll talk about the next song in a little bit, but I thought that like because pre- pretty much the the first half of uh, Drapery Falls is is pretty tame, mm-hmm. and and I I liked how I mean because we still have some acoustic in there and the slide guitar stuff that they're doing like what Yeah. (laughs) yeah just musically like i think it does like i mean first off like the the first half of the set is like 30 minutes long like yeah like approaching 30 minutes and so i was at a place where i'm like wow like especially again benighted i was just like oh my gosh this is so good mm-hmm. once i hit drapery falls it was almost like act two i kind of had to reset uh-huh and and after kind of ending low on benighted i was like okay i'm like mentally like it's it's kind of like time for round two like the back nine.
0: yeah and that's kind of that's kind of what my intention was is now we're able We've had a, a moment to collect. Now it's time to start stepping back and was, in, but it's a bit more and of a I slower I thought that step. the
1: easing in was really nice because, like, it gets really dissonant and really – muddy's the wrong word, and, and I don't know if everyone that's listening to this podcast knows what dissonant means, but it just, like, the, the musical tension of, like, it sounds like there's wrong notes being played, but, like, also mm-hmm. not because it's more for effect. It gets very dissonant and very, not heavy like death metal, but like there's like growling going on. It's really dissonant. It's really busy. There's a lot of textures hitting you at the same time. And we're kind of back where um, Ghost of Perdition kind of started us. And we're like kicking it back into that moment. Once we kind of start getting to the back half of Drapery Falls and, Mm -hmm. and especially now going through it again and kind of remembering how I was feeling I remember kind of just being like, this is pretty awesome. (laughs) Like getting back into like the dissonance. I'm just like, wow. Cause you do kind of forget after Benighted, you're just like, this band is like their home base is kind of death metal, even though they've kind of (laughs) transitioned away from it. They're so good at it. And so you get through this droney guitar and the slide guitar and the clean vocals and the, the guts to put, and it makes sense now that we're talking about depression. But like the the voice in the first verse, kind of um, having kind of that like, um, darn it, I don't know what the effect is called. It, it it's kind of the radio like effect yeah. where, where it's uh-huh. like the mids are really boosted, and mm-hmm. it sounds kind of more like behind in the mix, kind of like that, like. Like, even his positive voice artistically, like the voice of reason and the voice of happiness, is even in the very first verse drowned out by, by, and, and I'm just like, okay. yes, artistically, I'm that, that's, and, and whenever we get to final thoughts, I don't want to ruin it, but, but like, artistically, what this band is doing. I I appreciate what they're doing so much more than any other metal band that I've listened to in any depth because they're just really ballsy on the art, on the art of their songs.
2: Wow, high praise! Wow, yeah. Okay,
0: well, I think we can go ahead and move on to my favorite song of the set. I knew it. I knew it, (laughs) and that is Deliverance.
2: You wanted to cover this song so bad.
0: <laughs> yes, I did.
2: So this is our Patreon exclusive one.
0: Yes it is. This is where
2: you get to see all, Lucas die on the drums. Minutes. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: The Patreon exclusive exclusive is the uh only Lucas drum shot, the only Lucas version of the video where he just does it all <laughs> on take,
0: so you can see his pain uh I don't, uninterrupted. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it in one take. <laughs> we'll see what yeah. we get. Because at the time we're recording this, we actually have yet to record right, the right. cover song. So we're going to see how this goes. Yeah, we'll find
1: out in two days. I mean, yeah, so this song starts off absolutely blitzing. Like, they waste no time. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So like, yeah, after deep minutes, yeah, after drapery falls, it's just like, I was just like, all right, what's this? I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're back. And we're here, ladies and
0: gentlemen. (laughs) Yep. So um, Michael says that in his opinion, he thinks this is the best song that he ever wrote. Wow. And they have played this song live more than any other song in their discography, and the fans are fairly unanimous in saying that this is their best song. Okay. So this is what kind of like
1: fairly? this is kind
0: of like the big song of the set.
1: Okay. Did this did this get the, the most commercial
0: praise as well? Um it actually didn't really get that much praise mainly because their the production got a bit criticized as well as just, um, they felt that the album overall was a bit of a step down from Blackwater Park, which I can see that there's some songs on the album that aren't as strong, even though deliver the song deliverance, I think is so perfect. Um, And then they would actually kind of rebound with Ghost Reveries. That would actually be one of their most critically acclaimed records. Um, But this was one to where he specifically talked about how he didn't want to write lyrics to it. But he was like, I have to if we're going to make this freaking 13-minute song.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: But... um, at the time, this was actually during probably the the most troubling time for the band, mm. because they Wires. because they had the pressure of following up Blackwater Park, which was such a critical darling, and he was struggling with writer's block. Um, mm. Normally, he writes all the songs and they rehearse before they go into the studio, and on this album he hadn't written anything yet and they were already in the studio. And so he would have to write the song the night before in order to record it the next day.
2: Sometimes you get good stuff doing that. Yeah. And And he was just like, evidently so.
0: Yeah. And he was just like, well, I got deliverance out of it. So obviously it was good, but he was like, at the time, like he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I can do this. And then they had were finally recorded everything on the album and the mixing table crashed, and they lost everything that they recorded. No, and they had to restart everything. And this he said isn't... that he he said he almost broke up the band when that happened. That's
2: that's nightmare oh, wow. fuel. That
0: uh-huh. is. He he was like I he was like I I cried when I happened. would too. Are you kidding me? That would be wow. And so he was like but we persevered and it was a good thing we did because the fans love this record and this song. He was like but you know we we kind of learned some lessons of what not to do after making that album. Yeah. But Man. so
1: I'm losing everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the lyrics on this song is actually based off of a real event. So, Peter Lindgren, who's the other guitar player, his girlfriend at the time was having an all-girls party, and one of the girl's ex-boyfriends came in high on drugs and locked them into the house and started cutting himself and threatening to kill all of them. That is, uh, Okay. They all got out unharmed, but just the the mental state of someone that's willing to do something like that or is capable of doing something like that, that's what this song is about. Gotcha. It's about it's about insanity and which is I think is a great segue from the depression of right. the previous song. To now we this is a tale of someone that knows that they are so far beyond saving. You know, deliverance laughing at me, deliverance thrown back at me. Someone that doesn't believe that it's even possible for them to come back to any sort of light.
2: I definitely took this to be the opposite of what that is. <laughs> Just based on the title, I was like, ah, oh, deliverance, that's nice. It's like about being delivered. And you have that, you know, Lydian optimistic ending, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay, never mind.
0: <laughs> This is about someone that um, is is completely consumed by their insanity and is is in a losing battle and that's what the, again, the harsh and the clean vocals is that um, is that war inside of himself the light side trying to deliver him and the dark side saying that it's no use, it's all it's all for nothing.
2: If the war inside my head won't take a day off, I'll be dead.
0: (laughs) Good (laughs) callback.
3: Yeah, Uh,
2: that's deep. Also scary.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't imagine being in that situation. So,
2: so the lyrics don't follow that narration, do they? They just follow. No, it's not
0: depicting that event. It's just the whole. The inspiration comes from. Okay from just the idea of someone what could be going on in a guy like that's head not specifically that guy but anyone that's so out of his mind that he would do something like that what would what would their state of mind be like so he was he actually like told peter thank you for telling me that because now i got a lyric to write (laughs) wow wow
2: good good musicians find inspiration from everything
1: yeah. Especially so whenever this, you're a metal band. This...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, so, <laughs> you can so this, this is your favorite song.
2: You Yes. So talk about the different parts, because I think you will put a a positive spin on them. I'll say yes. that.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, um, so this song definitely has a... Um, probably the most aggressive feeling of all of the songs in the set. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And again, I I purposefully wanted to have this second to last because I knew that, you know, this is going to kind of be feel like what the whole set is leading towards, especially if you're listening for the first time, you don't know how the set's going to end. You almost feel like this could be the last song because it's it almost feels like it's final, like we're 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 going towards an inevitable moment. And the song does that so brilliantly. It's the way that it transitions to all the the segments. It's just, it feels like you're moving towards something, um, towards something terrifying. Um, Especially as, you know, the tempos shift. And then when you get to that quiet section right before the outro, when he's saying deliverance thrown back at me, deliverance laughing at me, there's just there's this this dread that permeates that whole section, calmer parts of the song. Yeah, and and then once that once that and it's one of the longest outros. It's like a three yeah. and a half minute outro. <laughs> yeah. But once that, that once that riff, is. once that riff plays, and it's just the guitar playing by itself it's just like you know that something's about to happen and then that that chugging polyrhythmic riff comes in and oh man that's to me the whole song and really up to this point the set is building towards this outro yeah where you have all of the emotions coming together you've got this riff that even though they're playing the same thing over and over again every single time they play it it feels like it's growing in intensity. Um, the drums are adding slightly different accents to the cymbals they're playing, and then when they go to kind of like the refrain from the riffing, the, um, the, the textures get more layered and louder and more menacing sounding until you get to that final one where it all cuts out and you just have the guitars just kind of chugging by themselves and you don't have that that guitar line playing in the background and it just feels so hollow and so final sounding
2: I I remember you playing this song for me like six months ago or something we were like going to we are
0: going to Guitar Center to get me some drumsticks probably and I was like hey have you ever heard of Opeth and you were like (laughs) I don't know and
2: I was like here let's listen to Deliverance and and we listened to this song and it was that breakdown that I remembered because of the fact that they switched from a Lydian mode to an Aeolian mode and Mm -hmm. which is just so completely weird because you switch almost every note in the scale um, and because you have that first part of the line that goes da 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 da, da you know, um, and so that's that's classic Lydian line. That's a you're going right to the flat five, but you still got the major third. Not uh, sorry, the sharp four technically, but you still have that major third. Um, totally a Lydian line, and then the flat third two one, which is totally a minor line and that's Mm -hmm. that's what caught my attention and i'm glad they introduced that and then had that heavy stuff behind it because doing that for four minutes would not keep anybody's attention least of all mine but because they had that juxtaposition as well as the refrain to keep things fresh i remembered that for six months Mm -hmm. and when you played it again i realized it was opeth at this point yeah I had I had a feeling, you know, but I wasn't sure.
0: Ethan, what's your opinion about kind of where this song goes <laughs> and how it made you feel once you got to the that outro section? I think, so
1: this song comes, I mean, it comes out the gate and just smacks you in the face. But then it has that seven, eight verse. Yeah. And it kind of grooves there for a little while. And it kind of is... It, it's just setting up the concept mm-hmm. you know something still isn't quite right like you still can't really get grounded in the i mean it grooves really hard for something that's in seven eight but like but it, it's still a little bit purposefully written kind of you you never really feel like at home in seven eight you know yeah and then it goes through that whole middle part and just resetting up and reinforcing the concept I whenever I heard the I mean I can't really add mm-hmm. anything to what Lucas said cuz I agree with all of it. Once once the once the guitar line comes in, you know. Like like you know it's like okay, they're about to like they're going there. Like they're about <laughs> to like show their cards right now. <laughs> uh yeah, and the way that they just play around with all those pieces like doing all those hits I would say the the thing that impressed me the most that, like, nobody does. Because it's, like, that, I mean, it's it's in 4-4 the whole time. Like, once we get yeah. there. But the, there's, whenever it goes to the, like, And, like, it does, like, it's, like, hitting on, like, the E of one Eanda.
3: Uh-huh. Like,
1: on all those parts. I was just like, that's that's
2: really good <laughs> yeah
1: like because yeah. it it like it really like the first time i listened to it i like totally lost like i got totally lost on that part mm-hmm. i was just like what is happening because they don't like they don't actually do like a hit on the one yeah like, that part and so uh-huh. like, right after all those like weird stops they like go back into it and you really have to pay attention and hold your attention on the guitar line to make it through if you're gonna like headbang to it or whatever until you kinda get the get the rhythm of it. And there's whenever tight, too. Whenever it opens up into I guess more of the the backbeat of it, mm-hmm. man, it is just so big. Yeah. Like it just like erupts into that and then uh I mean they do exactly what they set out to do. And so, I I mean, song structure-wise, I mean, th- in a weird kind of way, the song structure isn't anything super new. We start no. out balls to the wall. We kind of go down for a verse. Uh, it's a little bit different because there's a, a different time signature. We kind of head into, like, kind of, I guess, a chorus, you know? yeah and then we get into the break but like it's just the way that they did all of that and the way that they put those pieces into the song Uh, like it's a familiar format but the actual substance of it like that break is really good (laughs) if you haven't listened to this song yet the the I would say I agree with you Lucas. that break in in the set is probably the best musical like heavy moment in in the entire set yeah it just hits you like right right where people that listen to metal the break on deliverance listen to metal yeah (laughs) you you listen to it for that feeling you just Mm -hmm. crank the crap out of it in your car and you break all your speakers not
0: not only is it punishing and like cool in a metal way but it's just again just there's something so sinister and haunting about it that it just it gives you such a an uneasy feeling but in a good way mm-hmm. like again like you know people that love lo- watching horror movies they love that feeling of
3: of and yeah.
0: i think that's even even on benighted
1: like we go back and, and it's like wow that acoustic thing is so beautiful but there's this creepy feeling about it at the same time there, there's still something unsettling about it even though it's the down moment and I think that's like the Opeth sound mm-hmm. <laughs> in a weird kind of where it's like all of these songs throughout all of the parts and all of everything it's like there's always this feeling of tension and this feeling of uneasiness and not in like a bad musical way but like there's always this thing there, like, there's always a guitar line or a really weird pad thing there that makes you not feel
2: like, it's almost like you're not totally safe <laughs> in the song. Right, <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of harkens back to the, the idea of Black Sabbath, where they wanted to write songs to scare people, you know, like, movies scare people, so why not songs? Which kind of ties into our next song the Certain final song of the towards stuff. the end the final song and said ethan's favorite song
1: yes this is my favorite song
2: <laughs> this is then, burden. yes also so the watershed album
0: yeah so what i thought was really cool about this was that when you hear deliverance you almost kind of think to yourself okay that surely that's the end but then burden is the true ending that you didn't realize is the perfect ending until you hear it yeah and then you're just like and now everything comes full circle yeah in a creepy way yeah towards the yeah end. it still, it still has that. That opeth thing, where but yeah. the great, but the great thing is that you don't get it until the very end. You won't, you go through this whole song and just go, wow, what a truly authentically great, beautiful song. And then you have the acoustic <laughs> yeah. part at the end. And you're just like, oh, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, and and Damn. somebody's
2: there taking the tuners and just moving them down ever so slightly, and then there's the it weird is... laugh at the end. You know, it so kind of great yeah it, it's kind of like typo negative in their in their um what is it october rust album the first song is just 18 seconds of bad ground noise and then after that it just opens up with them laughing and saying hey we hope you like that little joke there it's kind of like that idea where it's mm-hmm. like they're detuning guitar and then it's like ha, got you you just listen to
0: that but then that even the laugh is super unsettling. Yeah. And it's
1: just, I think I that, genuinely that was like. Think, I genuinely think that whoever was playing the acoustic part or untuning it genuinely laughed at what they were doing in the studio and they just sampled it and distorted it. Yeah, like uh, It
0: is definitely yeah. Michael's voice laughing. Like
1: genuinely, I think that he was detuning it and he was just messing around mm-hmm. and detuning the guitar and then he laughed and then they're like, oh, what if we made that really
2: creepy? And I was like, that's fine. I'm not mad. They they yeah. did the they did the sweet leaf to it where they delayed it and distorted it.
3: hmm
0: So it's, it's
2: just yeah, like it not sound like a laugh anymore.
1: Yeah. And they committed to that too. Cause like on people that are playing it more safe, like they like so that acoustic part is playing and getting detuned for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to the eeriness where it's like there it's like Of course, I'm not being forced to listen to it, but it's like, in a weird kind of way, I'm listening to it, and it's beautiful, and they just keep messing with it and messing with it, and it's like, I'm now kind of in a weird way. It feels like I'm just forced to now listen to this thing get more and more and more distorted from what I just listened, Uh which is, again, a great artistic thing, because it's not like they were playing it, and then, oh, let's detune it for, like, six seconds and then, like, fade out,
2: you know? Yeah. It's
1: like we're do I mean it's like 30 seconds, 45 seconds of the guitar getting detuned.
3: Yeah.
2: So does that play into the theme,
0: Lucas? <laughs> so um I Look think so. This is this is one where it's a little more complicated to dissect what's really happening. Okay. So because there's a lot of perspective shifts and it's the, the lyrics are a little more vague and more and kind of just more general. Um, But from what I can tell, it's just, it's about the depression of um, becoming so this, I I think it's another depression song about becoming so burdened by what's troubling you that you start to become the burden yourself. Mm um you start off becoming the one that um can't go on in life and then you make it to where other people can't go on in life because they're so wrapped up in trying to um help you and take care of you that you kind of bring them down with you mm-hmm. and at the very end he's he's looking back at what he did and realizing that you know he All the damage he's caused by being so self-centered and so self-absorbed that, yes, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't his fault that he was afflicted with whatever is troubling him, but he didn't deal with it in a healthy way, and he brought everyone down with him, and he's now got to face the guilt of that, perhaps probably at the end of his life. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's he's now died and he's gone to his place of judgment and he's realizing now truly for the first time, maybe he committed suicide um, and he's now he's seeing the repercussion of what he thought was a relief from his suffering. And now he's got a new form of suffering of having to now accept all the damage he's caused other people.
2: That's entire. weird because there is that line in there that says "and if death should take me now." Uh huh. So is he talking? Is there like a transitional point in the song? Like half of it is he's alive and half of it he's dead?
0: No, I think that um, I think that he's alive throughout the whole thing until the acoustic guitar part.
3: I think that that's
0: actually the point that he transitions to the next life, and that's what that whole part symbolizes is he thinks he's now has a relief from his suffering, and then the guitar detuning is him slowly realizing that his suffering has only just begun. Oh,
2: that's a little bit sinister, Wow, <laughs> okay, I think let's go to the music wow Um, I think that that this is Ethan's favorite song because it has that weird vocal meter melody phrasing whatever that Benighted has but it also has that wonderful um ah part (laughs) it
1: (laughs) that's such a beautiful interpretation
0: (laughs) that whole ah part
1: you know what I mean
0: where it really I think opens up. it's
1: just straight up a good song. Like, there's no smoke and mirrors to it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: it. It's just a, you listen to it, and probably, this is probably all the metal people's, like, least favorite song because it's, like, not metal at all. <laughs> but it kind of goes back to, like, it's in the same, that's why Benighted was my second favorite. And whenever I heard Benighted, I was like, this is for sure going to be my favorite because this is so so different from everything else artistically um that it just stands out as the 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 thing to me and then after hearing deliverance i got to burden and i was like wow this is just straight up like good <laughs> like every He's every i got to, i was like this is so good <laughs> like like on, on deliverance and everything i was like oh that's cool that's cool that's cool i got to burden and then like just I have nothing negative to say about the song as a whole. Like, he, like the mix is perfect. His vocals yeah. are perfect. The tones are perfect. The mm-hmm. a, Like, everything about it is perfect. And then I actually looked at it. It's like a minute and 15 seconds of acoustic guitar detuning at the end.
0: Wow. And so
1: we get through the whole song, which is so good. And you need to listen to it. Because, like, I can't really... Like there's some cool mode changes and some cool like little chord substitutions that they do that just kind of keep you on your toes. And, and it's really good, but like really what, what, what locked it in as my favorite song was it goes to the acoustic part and I'm like, Oh man. And I like look up at the time and I'm like, Oh, there might be like one more little vocal thing. This is, you know, is probably still my favorite song and then it starts detuning and I was and I'm like whoa like they're doing this now yeah and again it's the same thing uh as um oh darn what was the song that we were talking about where i said like it like forced me to listen to it in a weird benighted. kind of way benighted yeah it, in drapery was... falls yeah drapery falls where it's like at the end it's just like I can't stop listening to it because it's just like it's doing something and i can't stop listening to it you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, and it's the same with this where it's like the acoustic thing starts going and it's just getting more and more distorted And it's like i can't stop listening to it i'm too i'm too intrigued in what's happening now because i have never heard that happen in a song before
2: ever but it's so straightforward I've... it's not it's not like it's a trick either
1: no, there's some... It's literally he's playing this beautiful acoustic <laughs> yeah. line and someone's just slowly detuning, like, three of the pegs and yeah. keeping the other one's the same. And it's just getting more and more distorted over the minute that you're listening to it. And and it's just like, where's this going to end up?
2: And it's it doesn't totally really idiot.
1: end up anywhere. Yeah. It just kind of stops and this guy laughs and then the distorted laugh takes us out of the set. And it's just like, literally, whenever that happened, I was just like, this is my favorite song that that's... to literally <laughs> yeah to to and, and it's because they nailed everything about the song and they added the acoustic part in and i didn't feel like they added it in as like a trope and they, it, it felt like it yeah. was a genuine part of the song that had the opeth vibe in it and they they tweaked it and made it a little bit disturbing a little bit kind of um you know, haunting to kind of like leave you kind of there with that minute of of acoustic distortion, but at, at and, the same time, and they did not like apologize troll. for it at all, and I was
2: just like, okay,
1: you know that's I mean? that's my favorite one.
2: I still think it is it is Michael being a troll, like we talked about in the first set, <laughs> yeah, like. And, and I, I didn't think of it this way because I didn't think of him as, as being like a silly person, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having talked about that and then also having listened through this song, you know, mentally again, I kind of realized like part of it probably was just him seeing what he can get away with
1: yeah That's he might have they yeah. might have not even planned that until they were in the studio and then he's just like oh well hey what
2: if i like was just detuning yeah, exactly your guitar because as you played it it's so straightforward it's not like it takes that much work to record a part like that yeah. you just need two
3: people
1: so i i think just again i'm what really gets me on songs uh, of course they have to be mixed really well but like right. artistically like the decisions that they're making and how they're approaching the song really get me yeah and so that and and that they can put it in and and it doesn't feel like really out of place like it feels like it flows really well and it doesn't feel like they're just like wanna know it would be cool to freaking detune an acoustic guitar let's just shove that in a song you know, mm-hmm. it feels really like a really natural end to the song. Yeah, and so I I, I don't really have very much else. To, you just have to go listen to it because, like, yep, it's not like oh this mode, that mode, this time signature, that time. It's it's like pretty much four four the whole time. And if it's not, I didn't. I can't. I could didn't it's, notice. It's any, four four the whole time. time. <laughs> and and it's just four four. Great verses, great chorus great great things.
0: solos great yeah
1: great guitar solos but got the organ is...
0: solo which is pretty awesome
1: but none of it's just like oh i'm gonna like rip this guitar solo out of nowhere it's just like you listen to the guitar solo and it's like his tone was great and the solo was great <laughs> the end yeah <laughs> it's just it was just a really great solo it's it's almost like it's so good that it's boring to talk about that's how good it is it's like, right
2: and it, and I think you make a good point about listening to it is that it's, it's very pointless for us to talk about it to listeners for almost what two and a half hours now especially listening
1: band. to it after Deliverance
2: because there's such right. a stark like Deliverance is like
1: we're, we can talk about we could still talk about Deliverance because all the parts are so right. good but, it, and, but then just going yeah. to burn it's just like this is pretty much just a straight up kind of rock
2: metal ballad thing but but my point being is it's pointless to listen to us talk about these songs and then not listen to them themselves, you know.
3: Mm, yeah. No, go, go to
2: listen to it. Yes. Spotify link in the description. Boom. I I always have to plug that in every episode. How like they need to go listen to the songs.
0: Yes. God please dang it. go <laughs> listen to these.
2: <laughs> um. I think we can go ahead and get to final thoughts next.
0: Yes, so we'll go ahead and take another break, and when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts, so stay tuned.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done talking about the Spotify playlist songs that Lucas picked for Opeth, which were Ghost of Perdition, The Lotus Eater, Benighted the drapery falls deliverance and my personal favorite burden but now it is time to talk about our final thoughts uh grant what did you what was kind of your opinion of opeth coming into the
2: episode and what do you think now okay um so obviously i had heard deliverance and I knew it was Opeth but I it really didn't spur me on to listening to more Opeth because it, it, in and of itself even though it was kind of a diverse song it didn't show all of Opeth's colors all of the colors mm-hmm. that we saw with Benighted and Burden and Ghost of Perdition and Lotus Eater and stuff yeah. and so having this set was really nice and Lucas talked about this band before i even knew who it was talking about how he thought this was going to be another dream theater episode for me and the fact (laughs) that after the dream theater episode i came a huge fan of theirs and he's right i listened to scenes from (laughs) memory on the weekly um but no for real and and i i hope that opeth will become that i can see them becoming that i probably am going to listen to Ghost Reveries at some point just because that has been cited as as one of their better albums of their career. Um, And even though I've asked a lot of my Metalhead buddies, like, hey, give me an Opeth album. I want to listen to more Opeth, you know. Um, They surprisingly are not very well known, and I think that's kind of sad because Mm. of the different Colors that they're able to use and so in a way I think Opeth is very underrated from what I've heard yep. um, but I'm glad now that I have discovered them and I hope they become another Dream Theater episode for me because it, it, learning new artists is always good and so I'm eager to listen to more yeah, I'm eager to listen more. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> For me the uh, I'm I
1: am so not a metalhead. And I think the reason why I was not a metalhead and why I probably gravitated to more, more prog was because I had always viewed metal as artistically and writing-wise like really two-dimensional. And we talked about that a little bit in the episode where mm-hmm. I was like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna do blast beats and they're gonna scream and it's gonna be really fast. And yeah, like, and they're I'm gonna, gonna, gonna worship stuff. stuff. A whole bunch. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and there we go. And then I can't understand anything about what they're saying, and I wouldn't be able to tell one band from the next band. Listening to Opeth, and even hearing their story about like, because in a weird kind of way, like they felt the same way, you know, about how metal was going and even uh, the lead singer was not inspired anymore so he started taking it in a different direction I have a huge respect for that a huge respect for what Opeth is doing even as someone that uh, I will probably listen to Opeth again because I go through phases where it's like I want to listen to something really like hard you know and so I'll, I'll, I'll go to metal but usually my only go to is like dream theater because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really like the screamo stuff. I don't really like be getting that deep into oh, it. Oh, He said a buzzword.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you said the sacred word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but just what what they're doing, how they're approaching songs, how they're mixing it, what they're doing creatively is so impressive not and and that's not even to mention how musically impressive it is even of itself the prog elements of it and even though i'm impressed by that and as a musician i also have huge respect for that i think it's more impressive how they're able to kind of evolve over time and how they're still going and how they're still making stuff and this, Opeth should definitely have a part two. I don't know if that's in the works, but I would be so interested to see um, what happened. Uh, I think, Lucas, you said this was like up to 2008,
0: 2009. Yeah. Yeah, definitely would be... the next episode we're going to look at what their post-death metal as like.
1: I would be so interested to see what the modern interpretation of Opeth is and how the the themes are still staying the same and how the band creatively is still operating because if, I mean, it's just, again, I said this about Burden, I'll just say it about Opeth. It's like, it's all just really good. And even if you're not a big metal person, I think it, if you, kind of like what Grant said, like you listen to Deliverance and you only see one aspect of of Opeth, right? You listen to Benighted, you only hear one aspect. You listen to Burden, you only hear one aspect. You you listen to Ghost of Perdition, and it's like as you start listening to more aspects of it, I think you gain an appreciation for the others and how they're able to feel like the same thing, even whenever they're executing on different things. So, right, they, they give me hope for metal, and I hope more people start to take the craft of metal more seriously and and stop mailing it in I guess because that's kind of what turned me off to metal in the first place where I was, I was like there's really no I mean the drummers are getting faster and the guitar players are getting faster but Opest right. is like pushing in a direction now where I'm like oh like the genre um, creatively and pushing metal to places that are kind of uncomfortable, and I think that's a good thing for the genre.
0: Okay, all right, yeah,
2: all right, Lucas.
0: Okay, so, um, my obviously, I'm the, the, the fan here. I've, right. like I said at the beginning of the episode, I um, am more of a new fan, I would say. I've been, I've started listening to them about probably four years ago, but it wasn't until two years ago that I really started to like latch on and find the albums that I really like. And, um, throughout this process, just learning more about them, um, listening to a lot of their stuff that I hadn't heard before. Um, they, they have, they are continuing to sort up my favorites list. Where they could be one of those um, fifth spot takers, depending on my mood. <laughs> Which, if you've listened to this show before, you know how I feel about my fifth spot.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, this band is just—it's—they're so fascinating to me because, in a way, they're—they're they're such antithetical. Prague, in the sense that they're not so up their own butts tech technically yeah. it's one of the things that i think is kind of can hurt Prague is technical for technical sake but they're progressive in the way of just like of their vision and the overall feeling and direction that their songs take And I think that that's where the true spirit of Prague is. It's the reason why I love bands like Dream Theater and Rush and Yes is not just because they can play impressive parts, but because they were so good at crafting songs that took you somewhere and took you to places interesting that created song structures that you hadn't really ever heard before. They would take risks on you know just the way a song is put together the the way a instrument is played that's the part of prog that i love and that's what opeth really captures well is that adventurous nature of not just how many weird time signatures can we play in and how low can we tune our guitars and yeah. how <laughs> yeah. how many notes can i fit in this Three sixteen meter. meters <laughs> it's more about just where what interesting places can we take the listener what um what stories can we tell what what kind of emotion can we stir and i think that that is why and i i think it's through doing this episode that i now realize that that's the part of opeth that i love so we are definitely going to do volume two, three, however many. Just it might be a little while before we get to it, because we got a lot of other people to get to as well. But absolutely we will. Well, I think that that makes up for the episode here. Thank you guys yeah. so much for listening. Um, this was a really fun episode to make um like i said at the beginning unfortunately this is going to be our last episode to pair with cover songs but don't worry we've got some official content including something that we're going to do starting this week um when we do our sign off we're actually going to keep recording and do a little bit of an uh, a short after hours segment so those of you that are in the five dollar patreon tier you're going to get to hear that so um, exclusive yes it's pretty much just going to be us talking as if there's no recording so you're going to get to hear some very raw just just come
1: vibe with us
0: yeah (laughs) um and then we've got some other stuff that we'll probably announce next time um make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram and subscribe on um whatever platform you're listening to. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the podcast as well as what artists you would like us to cover in the future. And uh, make sure to check out the Spotify playlist. Please, please, please listen to the songs. Um, We cannot stress that enough. Um, And then um, if you want to become a patron, the link is in the description for the episode there as well. So, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. Keep on listening
3: to good music.